Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. The Digital Right to Repair Act. Sounds good, doesn't it? Everybody wants to be able to repair devices sometimes. You may want to repair them or you may want to get new ones. But there is a movement going on in many states to put into law an act that would require certain things of manufacturers. And maybe it's not as rosy for consumers as you might think. Well, we're going to talk about that. My guest today is Alex Reinauer. He is a research fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Alex, welcome to Of Consuming Interest. Thanks for having me, Shirley. Yeah, it, this is a very interesting subject. I wrote a, I read a blog that you had written on it. And of course, it attracted my attention right away because I think, you know, consumers, especially in today's economy, we oftentimes want to get things fixed rather than having to replace them. Although in the point you make in some of your writings is that a lot of products are really very inexpensive to replace. And surveys say that consumers are quite happy in many cases to replace rather than repair. But let's talk about it. First off, tell me the status of for consumers right now about repairing their digital devices. We have, what are, the, what are our rights? I mean, we can go to the store and get them fixed, right? Yeah, well, um, the, the right to repair is kind of included in the, the right to use, kind of the idea, our traditional property law. Um, and right now there's a, a thriving kind of um, ecosystem aftermarket for, for repairs. And you can you can take your phone to um, the store where you purchased it, whether it be AT and T or T Mobile. Um, the manufacturer provides r- repair services. They have also an authorized kind of a uh, system of, of repair shops, as well as independent repair shops um, that are working outside the manufacturer's authorized uh, system, but still can provide adequate service and and help you replace your you know your your smartphone screen or your battery. Well, yeah, I mean, I've had things repaired and I I didn't know that there was any movement to make a a new law that's going to put some rather, um, I would say, expensive requirements on your manufacturers, which, of course, would be passed on to consumers. So let's let's talk about this. Well, all right. So we have the right right now to take our devices and do whatever we want with them, throw them away, repair them, you know, whatever. What is the motivation behind an act to force manufacturers to do a lot of things in order to enact this act in order to make this act um enforce uh excuse me in order to make it uh usable by the man i take that back it's not usable in order to do this act why are people pushing it well, I, this is my, I guess, kind of inclination is that there's the the forces driving this movement in many ways are the independent repair shops that that work on these products. Um, and I'd say the boogeyman of the conversation is typically Apple because Apple has a, a very different philosophy of technology than than most companies. They they really like a closed kind of uh, source system in which they they have control on design features. They don't really like people modifying and, and, and uh, tampering with those kind of uh, software and hardware. So they've created a lot of restrictions and they continue to innovate their products to make it more closed source and, 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 and not as modifiable. And so there's a lot of independent repair shops that, that 
heavy, heavily focus on Apple products. Um, and there is some kind of frustration on this. So I think this is, this is really directed at um, manufacturers by independent repair shops so that independent repair shops can in turn make, make more money and, and, and kind of increase their providings and services. So in other words, they, they, because they find it difficult to deal with some of these manufacturers, they would like more access and, and more availability to serve consumers in an efficient and effective way, I think is what you're saying to me. Yes, I think um, that's a very accurate way of describing it. Okay. So, all right. So somewhere along the line, 20-some uh, states are looking at the right to repair digital equipment. and But this would impact all manufacturers of all equipment. Am I right about that? Yeah, well, it depends on on the version of the bill. I mean, in the last 10 years, there's been about 200 versions introduced in about 43 state legislatures. So the most broad ones are not going to apply to just, um, you know, tablets, cell phones, and, and laptop computers. It'll apply to anything essentially with a digital component. Um, that can include a uh, kind of normal hardware, uh, normal kind of appliances like coffee makers that may have a, a smart component that allows you to control it from your smartphone, um, hair straighteners, a number of beauty products that have continued to become digitized, um, as well as in, in some instances, security cameras, um, kind of other financial in instruments, uh, devices that, that also be covered. So what this really means is that it's going to place quite a number of um, rules on the manufacturers of these products. Is that a correct reading? Yes, absolutely. It, it creates uh, a lot of, of duties and obligations for manufacturers to create systems. I mean, the, the, manufacturing is a very difficult thing and to do it in a, an economically efficient way is very difficult. Uh, it requires a lot of math and a lot of planning. Oftentimes these components come from all over the country, all over the world to build. And manufacturers have to kind of grapple with these supply chains and these other kind of other regulatory environments in order to build a product in, in a way that they can meet their bottom line and, and, and make some money so they can continue to innovate and make other products. Um, well, I think you, you stated somewhere that um, that the production of an iPhone, iPhone 13 included parts from 200 companies in 30 different countries. Yes, like I'm absolutely. saying, whoa, that is rather international in scope, isn't it? Um, so what would this mean then for me? Let's suppose I have an iPhone and right now uh, there's there's more restrictions on the iPhone. And I gather from what you're telling me that more of this is driven by the desire to make the iPhone more accessible. But it would, in fact, affect all of our digital devices, as you pointed out which is kind of interesting. Is there any consideration that, that these should be directed more towards parts of the industry where the repairs are difficult or, or maybe that's not fair? I don't know. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. Whenever you look at kind of what are the most common repairs for a smartphone and over, overwhelmingly, the most common repair is going to be uh, a screen replacement. Because people drop their phone. I think 95 million Americans break their phone by dropping it every year. So that's that's really the, the number one cause of, of smartphone repairs. And there's kind of a, a thriving market right now for replacement screens. There's a, a co great company called iFixit, which is one of the founders of kind of the repair association, the right to repair advocacy group. Um, and they supply replacement screens 
uh, oftentimes cheaper than the manufacturer does. I'm Shirley Rooker. You're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. My guest is Alex Reinauer. He is a research fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And we're talking about the Digital Right to Repair Act, which um, on its face sounds very productive for consumers. But once you delve into it a little bit, it makes you ra- it raises questions about whether or not it's going to cost to significantly raise the cost of products because of the requirements that are going to be put on manufacturers. I guess my problem is, is that uh, Alex, is that this is such a broad, what we're talking about would be such a broad act that would require, it seems to me, companies, large and small, to make major changes that are going to be very expensive. Uh, tell us a little bit about what some of these acts what are some of the things that they're they're saying that the manufacturers have to do? Yes, yeah, so I guess the most concerning provision um, in the model legislation, at least, is this idea that there, the manufacturer has to provide tools to unlock certain security locks on on the device. Um, there's a, a federal law, the Digital Millennium Millennium Copyright Act, um, that that kind of protects digital uh, IP rights, intellectual property. And there's been granting, there's been tons of exceptions granted uh, under this act that allow for more repairs. Uh, But one one thing that has not been granted is the kind of freedom to unlock these security locks because they protect proprietary codes um, and copyrighted information. So there's not only intellectual property concerns with these provisions, but but also security provisions as well. Because let's say a you know a, a smartphone gets um, stolen, uh, you know any, anywhere, there's often security locks that you can place in to ensure that whoever stole the device can't be can't be used. Um, these kind of products could be used to unlock uh, phones that are not meant to be unlocked. Oh, that gets to be a rather interesting thing. But I, I gather that it would require the manufacturers to repair, provide to the repair shops um, all of this information and in, in some cases perhaps have to change the techniques that they use. I think you were talking about uh, the iPhone and the way it's sealed and making it waterproof and that that might have to be one of the things that would have to be changed. Yes, absolutely. That's a, a really important point. And, and it comes down to the, the market of marketability and the profitability of, of, of product design. Um, and a good comparison to this is this new product that's come out. I think it's in Denmark called the Fairphone, which is designed to be very easily repairable. But even the manufacturers of Fairphone acknowledge that the more, repair, more repairable a device gets, the more breakable it becomes, the less water resistant, the less dust resistant. So there's kind of a balance here. You know, you make a, a product more repairable that, that fits within the, the uh, kind of lines of this legislation. You're going to end up breaking your device more. Uh, that, yeah, well, I guess you have to kind of flip the coin and say which side you come down on on that one, um, I guess. <laughs> exactly. And consumers should be flipping this coin, not, not you know, government government actors. Right. So the so the repair shops and in fairness to them, I want everybody to have access to everything they possibly can. So they're asking for more information that they can so they can easily more easily repair these products, increase their business. Nothing wrong with that. Ultimately, though, the consumer is going to pay the price for this. There's going to be charges. What does this do in terms of innovation? It seems to me like 
if I want to come out with a great van, brand new device, I don't want to share those secrets with anybody. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and, and we have seen some instances in which laws like this um, de-incentivize innovation. There's, there's a, it's not exactly based off the model legislation, but there's a t- two, 2020 law in Massachusetts um, applying to auto, automakers um, that forced them to provide kind of the, the wireless um, diagnostic data from cars. So manufacturers have created these kind of um, diagnostic information that sends kind of repair information to the manufacturers and independent repair shops that say they want, you know, that same kind of information. But Kia and Subaru, which have a huge market share in the Northeast and, and in Massachusetts, have opted to withhold and, and not implement a lot of those new digital features um, into their cars because of this because of this law. So whenever you create kind of these very restrictive repair legislation, uh, repair laws, it's actually can influence manufacturers to say, you know, we, we don't really want to fall under this law and comply it. We don't think it's going to be profitable. So we're going to just not innovate our product and we're going to keep kind of the same basic features. So what we're looking at here is 20 some states, but 20 some different laws that manufacturers would have to comply with across the board. Anything that it uses digital. My clock. Would I have to? Would it have to comply with all this? Uh, in the in some of the most broad instances, yes, some digital clocks would fall under the purview of the law. I don't want my digital clock. Oh, poor baby. Okay, let's. <laughs> humor aside, it is not a funny subject, and it is a subject that consumers need to be aware of and to understand what's going on out there because the cost of everything is is part of what what we're involving here. What do you see happening? And put your crystal ball on. Do you think some of these things are going to happen? Um, I do. I mean, we, we've already had two instances of these bills passed last year. Uh, a very narrow one in Colorado directed at power wheelchairs. Um, and then another one in New York, um, the Digital Fair Repair Act. Uh, and unfortunately, that, that bill was watered down a bit. Um, the as far as applicability, they said that basically only those companies that have an authorized repair network would fall under the purview of the law. But that creates kind of unique issues in itself because now a, a manufacturer has to decide, do I want to create an authorized repair service uh, to better help consumers or do I want to not fall under the purview of this law? So the, so it's a little more narrow. Um, it's kind of eliminated some of the problems of, of the, the original right to repair bill but nevertheless is still kind of archaic and, and unnecessary. You said that in Colorado, the, the bill is only directed toward uh, wheelchairs. Yeah, powered I, wheelchairs. Powered wheelchairs, which, of course, are essential for people um, in order to be mobile. Um, mm-hmm. Did that Has that had an impact on the market there in Colorado? And Um, now we're talking about, let me just interrupt. I'm sorry. We're we're talking about the manufacturer. Can the manufacturer decide that I'm not going to sell my product in Colorado if I don't want to comply with that? Or is that a possibility? Yeah, certainly they can, they can decide to do that. And um, the the Colorado bill is, is not as bad as the others, because I think it does, uh, uh, you know, attacks a a very important issue um, to a very important group of people. Um, yes. But it's also very narrow. I think in, in the grand scheme of this, the more narrow the bill, the the more the better it is because it can be more narrowly tailored 
to the device that's going on. And it's, it's the broad versions that have really wide applicability um, okay. are really the worst of the worst. Let's take a brief pause here to let our listeners know they're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. My guest is Alex Reinauer. He is a research fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And we're talking about the movement to pass digital right to repair acts around the country and what their impact may be on both innovation and cost. And of course, with consumers, we're always concerned about cost. Um, So at any rate, we were just talking about the Colorado, which is a narrow focus on an item that, of course, is so essential to the life of many people that require uh, wheelchairs for mobility. Um, is it? Do you see any move towards the other states? Or which, if you wanted to single out one, which state do you think has the broadest act, which it would be, as you pointed out, the perhaps the least de- desirable, if that's the proper term, um, are there are there ones that you see that would cause really much more um, harm to the harm harm in terms of cost to the consumer? Uh, yes, I think the most the broadest one out right now is um, in Vermont, which is based heavily on uh, the original kind of kind of format in in, in bill. Um, I'd say that one is probably the most concerning. The one that's most likely to pass might be the one um, in Washington right now, uh, but I think also is, is fairly broad. The Washington, Washington State you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, okay. But now, are manufacturers pushing back against this? What kind of, uh, what kind of battle is going on out there between the repair shops and the, the and it's not fair to characterize it as a battle, but the, the interest groups um, is there much going on on the manufacturer's side with in terms of pointing out the problems for consumers? Yes, absolutely. And in, and in many different products, I guess there's there's obviously the tech uh, side of it with with personal computers and smartphones. But but two other industries that are highly targeted is are just general medical devices, as well as agricultural equipment. Um, and you've seen a lot of concern expressed by manufacturers for the security of these devices and ultimately um, the well-being of the consumers using them. So, for example, when you talk about medical devices, I think that concerns all of us. How would it impact on medical devices? Would it be releasing information to third parties about our devices that we may not want to share with them? I think it's it's more concerning about falling in compliance with with federal laws. You can imagine uh, okay. medical devices are heavily regulated, um, and to to maintain make sure that they're you know within compliance of those regulations. There's a lot of concerns uh, by medical device communities, and and also whether or not a bad repair uh, could ultimately lead to some kind of harm to to patients. So um, while most of these devices are probably repairable right now. What we're looking at is more access and more things being provided from the manufacturer. Now, I gather that the manufacturer can pass on some charges to these these uh, shops that they have to provide information. But the, a lot of it sounds like to me like it's not going to be a charge associated with it, except for the cost of the company to have to produce the information mm-hmm. or materials. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's 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 some price controls uh, in many of these bills as well. All right. So what do you think is possible to reform these acts so that they 
are more specific, I mean, and not being so broad, because it seems to me like the, it, the broader it is, as you've pointed out, the more it's going to impact on manufacturing and on consumers. And, and consumers, of course, are my, my major concern and the cost of these products. Um, if, if are the legislatures willing to work with you all, for example, to listen to your thoughts on this, or are you all um, campaigning on it? Or what, what is the position of the Competitive Enterprise Institute in terms of working with legislatures to develop what you would see as a more reasonable solution? Well, I, I, I'm the only one working on this uh, topic currently. It's a very small group of, of scholars, I'd say, in D.C. working on on right to repair really in-depthly. In um, but I, I have a pretty dim view of the legislation as it sits, and I, I'd rather look for free market solutions um, yes. in, in this issue, and particularly with, with, with electronics, which is I'm, I'm mostly in tech policy. So uh, my study on this has really been directed towards smartphones and laptops. Um, and I just I think it's completely unnecessary because we already have an absolute thriving market for for electronics. Um, I, mean, I may have mentioned that that smartphones are currently cheaper than water. If you look at yeah. the, the lifecycle costs, about sixteen dollars yeah. a month um, that the average person spends on smartphones, as opposed to eighteen dollars a month that they spend on water. That's, that does seem rather uh, interesting. Yeah, um, and, and, oh. and the government has a monopoly. On, on water and, and manufacturers have been able to distribute supercomputers in a more economically efficient way than the government has been able to distribute water. So let the marketplace decide the issues and the repair solutions. Um, and it sounds like there is, as you've put it, pointed out in your, your blog, that there is a very thriving um, market for repairs, for the third party repairs in this case. So in most of the cases, very few exceptions, I guess, Apple being some of the products that are probably the top of the list in terms of not being as accessible to the repair shops. Would that be true? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to, to, to back up a, a little bit to a, for, for as far as what the manufacturers are doing, I think um, agricultural kind of industry has been really receptive to a lot of these concerns are and, and are attempting to kind of come to some free market solutions and agreements uh, mm -hmm. in order to not have this kind of restrictive uh, legislation. For for instance, for tractor repairs, 98% of repairs are, are perfectly uh, can be done by by the owners, can be done by self-repair, independent repair shops. It's about 2% mm -hmm. of all repairs involve ones that, that the manufacturer has to come in and reset of code. So a very small amount. And I think they've noticed that in, in, in smaller uh, underserviced rural, rural areas, there's some need for some reform. And I think they're responding to, to uh, consumers. Yeah. Well, Alex, it's been an interesting, I've learned a lot today. I had no idea about what was going on and, and what the thought, you know, the digital right to repair act sounds so positive to me for the consumer, but yet there's a lot of things in there that really, we need to think about seriously, including security, innovation, and cost. So thank you for pointing that out to us today. Yeah, You've been you, uh, it was a pleasure. You've been listening to Of Consuming Interest. My guest has been Alex Reinauer. He is a research fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. You're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. We thank you for joining us. If you want to reach me, it's Shirley at callforaction.org. So we thank you and thank you for joining us, Alex. Bye-bye. Thank you.
of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP.